0: Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word.
1: Well, look at you all.
2: Look at that. I doubted. Before I came today, I thought flu season, time change, and rain. Nobody's gonna show up, you know, well, what's that? You know, if a Baptist gets wet or loses an hour of sleep, it's over with, you know? A, so I am very impressed, you're like the Marines, you know? They, you know, you're tough this morning, I appreciate that very, very much because I had doubted our attendance this morning. Have you ever doubted anything in your life before? Uh, here a couple of weeks ago, we were in California, Dawn and Andrew and I, Andrew's looking at some grad schools uh, out there and uh, we went to Hollywood, And we were thinking about taking one of those Hollywood tours, but they were 75 bucks a person. And I figured up, you know, that's like $225 or something. Actually, it is $225. And uh, and so, you know, I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that for a two-hour tour. But you know, everybody wanted to go see the Star, stars, homes, and all that kind of stuff. So we're talking about it, and we pass by, and there's one of those little cut-rate places. They said, "Hey, $40 for the tour." Now, going to Odom County Public Schools, I said, "40, 80? That's still $120." You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if we're going to do that. And so we start walking off, and the guy says, "How?" about $20 a person and so I go 20 40 60 and I'm thinking, hey, I've just gone from two twenty-five to $60, we will do it. Now they pull up and, and when the, the van comes, it's called an open air van. Let me show you what an open air van looks like. This is an open air van. Basically, you just rip the top off the van. Now that's not the one that came for us, okay? The one that came for us looked like a van that the top had been ripped off of it. All the seat cushions were torn up and I'm thinking, well, you know, it's 20 bucks, how bad can it be? So, so we get on there and we find out in Hollywood, and I don't know if you knew this, but California is in the United States. I mean, it's kind of iffy whether or not, you know, they should be, but, but they are in the United States but our driver spoke almost no English. He was from Italy and spoke very broken English. So here I am on this $20 tour, half understanding my driver and he's going through there and he just starts making up numbers. See this house here, this house isn't worth millions, it's worth billions with a B, this house is worth $10 billion. And I'm thinking, well, there's no house in America that's worth $10 billion. Then we passed Cedar sinai Hospital and he said, man, this hospital, this is the Stars Hospital. This is the Spielberg wing. And sure enough, it said Spielberg wing right on it. He said, Steven Spielberg gave not millions, billions, $17 billion Steven Spielberg gave for that wing of the hospital. So I pull out my iPhone and I start saying, Steven Spielberg. And I found out Steven Spielberg's movies have made $3 billion total in his lifetime. But he gave 17 billion for that hospital. And so I started telling Andrew, I said, Andrew, I would doubt anything statistically this man says to you. By the time we got to Beverly Hills, we're doubting when he says, this is Meryl Streep's house. We're going, yeah, you're just pointing to a house now. So we begin to doubt everything the guy said. Now, I'll tell you that this morning, because this morning we're going to be talking about doubt. Because a lot of times people doubt the things of God. Uh, they look at it just like we did on that tour. and They said, oh, it sounds good. There's a God. He created us. Uh, he loves us. He's active in our lives. There's eternal life. Yeah, I doubt that. But we're not going to talk about an agnostic, atheistic kind of doubt this morning. We're going to talk about the doubt that we have as Christians. That often creeps into our lives all the time. And it happens to each and every one of us. So look over into the uh, uh, gospel of, of uh, of Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter nine, verse 14. The gospel of Mark chapter nine, verse 14. Now, let me give you a quick little background on what's going on here. Jesus has just had what is called the transfiguration. Jesus, James, John, and Peter have gone up into a mountain While he was there, Moses and Elijah appear in this great transfiguration. They have this great spiritual experience. They go back down the mountain, back into Galilee. And that's where our scripture picks up in Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. And the first thing we see is this. All of us have questions and doubts in our faith. All of us have questions and doubts in our faith. Look down to verse 14. So Jesus and and those three come down from the mountain. The other nine are in town. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greeting. So Jesus and the three disciples come into town. The other nine disciples are in some kind of a big argument with a huge crowd around them. And so Jesus in verse 16 says, what are you arguing about with them? And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, as we look at our scripture here, there is doubt on almost every level of what's going on. First, there's doubt that comes from the man who has the son. Uh, this man's son, his whole life, uh, has been, uh, unable to speak. Uh, not only that, he has these seizures and the seizures are very violent seizures. He hears about Jesus and the healing of Jesus takes his son to Jesus, hoping he might be healed, but Jesus isn't there. But the nine disciples are the nine disciples very arrogantly say, yeah, we can heal him. But then they're not able to. And so a big argument takes place between Jesus' disciples and the people in the crowd and the religious leaders. So first of all, that father has to be doubting. My whole life I prayed, where's God? Why isn't he doing something? Why is my son just like that? He's also got to be doubting because he hoped against hope, took his son for Jesus to do something, uh, but the disciples weren't able to heal him. So there's a lot of doubt on this man in his mind right now when it comes to God and his son. But there's probably doubt from the disciples as well. The disciples came in very, very sure. Oh yeah, we can heal him. But then for some reason they're not able to heal the man, and so they get into an argument with the crowd, and they're saying things like, "Yeah, we can heal him, but uh, just not right now. You know, come back tomorrow. You know, I catch you a little bit later. You know, something like that." And so they're doubting, "Why can't we do it? What's going on here?" And then the crowd's probably also doubting. Here's the crowd. This is a big show. They don't have television, you know, home and garden. They, they don't have that, you know. And so, so, they, so they show up they're seeing this big show that's going on, but the disciples can't heal the boy. And they think, well, that's what we thought all along. Surely nothing like that can really happen. So there's doubt going around everywhere as Jesus shows up <coughs> in the crowd. And the same's still true today. Every person in this room at times doubts. You doubt the things of God. You doubt things you read in the Bible. You have doubts that creep into your mind. All of us doubt at one time or another. This is what Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said. Whenever I meet a man who says I never doubt, I immediately doubt him. And I begin to say, oh, you poor soul, I'm afraid you're not very far on the road to God. For if you were, you would see things that were beyond yourself. You would see the glory of Christ more than you deserved. You would be ashamed of yourself at times. You would see God's love and there would have to be moments you said it is too good to be true. You see, the strong are not always vigorous. The wise are not always ready. The brave are not always courageous. And there are oftentimes the joyous aren't very happy. So Spurgeon talking about the fact that all of us doubt at one time or another. Those doubts are things that come in and they come in for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes we doubt because we start having problems and we say, where's God? Why is he not doing something? Why doesn't he love me? And so problems that come upon us cause us to doubt God. Sometimes we doubt because we see things going on in the world. If there was a good God, why wouldn't he do something about some of the injustices that I see in the world? Sometimes our doubts are intellectual. We have intellectual doubts and we think, well, you know, uh, science uh, seems to say this, or I was told that and and, uh, what what you're hearing here, uh, somebody coming back from the dead, that's not reasonable. And uh, so we begin to doubt, but we doubt for all kinds of reasons, but all of us have times that we doubt. Pope Francis said this recently, who among us doubts? Every one of us, everybody. Who among us has never experienced doubt? None of us. We all have. We've experienced insecurity, loss, doubts of our faith. Every one of us, we've all experienced this. Me too. It's just part of the journey of faith and part of the journey of life. This should not surprise anyone. We are human beings marked by fragility and limitations. We are all weak. We all have limits. We all doubt, but it doesn't mean we do not have faith. So every person in this room has at one time or another had doubts in your mind when it came to God and the things of God. That brings us to the second thing that we see in our scripture. There's nothing wrong with having doubts about God. It's what you do with those doubts that count. So, so the fact that you may doubt, the fact that you may have questions, the fact that things may not make sense to you all the time, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's what you do with it that counts. Let's see what happens In our scripture passage, verse 19. So Jesus shows up, there's this argument going on. And at the end of verse 19, Jesus says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rode around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So Jesus says, bring the boy to me. They bring the boy to Jesus. And when he gets there, the boy immediately has a seizure. He's thrown into a convulsion. He falls down to the ground. He begins to foam at the mouth. And Jesus is watching this and simply asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the boy's father says, he's been like this since he was a child. And it's almost killed him. The seizures are so violent over and over again. And then he looks at Jesus and says, if you can, please have pity upon us. You see, the church has done a real disservice to people today because the church says things like, you should never doubt. You should never have questions. And if doubts or questions come up, you just shouldn't feel that way. Well, that's perhaps the stupidest thing that anybody could ever say to you. We've talked about this before on other subjects. (coughs) But think about this. You shouldn't feel that way. Well, I'm sorry. It's the way I feel. I can't help the way I feel. It's called a feeling for a reason. I don't sit around and say, I think I'll feel this today. You know, uh, a feeling is just something that happens. So for the church's response to be you shouldn't feel that way is absolutely ridiculous. You do feel that way. Now, what are you going to do? with how you feel. So when the church says you shouldn't doubt or you shouldn't question or or, or these things shouldn't come up in your mind, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Those things do happen. They happen to all of us. But what are you going to do with those things that come up in your mind? It may encourage you to know this. A good portion of what we call the Bible was written because people had doubts. As a matter of fact, there are two entire books of the Bible, Job and Habakkuk, that are written simply because people had doubts and took them to God. And God answered those doubts. The book of Psalms, over and over again, talks about doubts. Let me read you a couple of them. First, the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. Listen, chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, do I call for help and you refuse to listen? I cry out, there is violence all around me, but you're doing nothing to save us. Why do you not look at injustice? Why don't you care when wrong things are happening? Destruction and violence are everywhere. There is strife and conflict and it abounds. The goodness and law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem themselves in. Justice has been perverted and you don't care. Wow. Does that sound like somebody questioning and and doubting God at times? Wondering what's going on as he looks at the world? The book of Habakkuk is written to answer that question right there. Oh, that's how you feel? Let me answer that. Look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22. This is David. David, the great man of God. David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the wounds of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out to you all day long and all night long and you are silent. Wow. There's a lot of people in the Bible who had severe doubts with God. People by the name of Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Peter. There's a disciple by the name of Thomas and Thomas had a nickname. Anybody know what it was? Doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas, you know, that, that, how would you like that to be? Yes, I was one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, I'm doubting Thomas, you know, that, that's there, you know. Uh, so the Bible doesn't condemn people when they doubt. Because the only time God can begin to help you and to grow you is with your honest with how you feel. If you sit back and say, I don't feel that way. I never have questions. I never have doubts. God can't do anything with that because you're pinning it all up inside. But when you let it out and you're honest with God and you say, this is how I feel, then God can do something with that. A perfect example is Elijah. Elijah was so close to God that he never died. One of only two people in the world that never died. That's how close Elijah was to God. This great prophet Elijah had a moment in his life where this is what he prayed to God. Everything you told me is a lie. Nothing's worked out the way you you said it would work out. They hate me in this world. They're trying to kill me. And I wish I was never born. And I want to die right now. And to that, God says, wow, that's honesty, Elijah. I can do something with that. And because Elijah was honest with God about how he felt, Elijah had his closest spiritual experience ever with God when he was honest with him. So be honest with God. When you have doubts, when you have questions, don't put those things aside or say you shouldn't feel that way. Be upfront, say, hey God, this is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. These are my doubts. These are my questions. Take them to God. And then don't be afraid to investigate. If this thing we believe is true, it will hold up to an investigation. If it's not true, you shouldn't be here in the first place. So don't worry about asking the questions, ask them, do some searching. You'll find out God's a lot greater than you might think when you begin to seek these things. There's nothing wrong with having doubts. It's what we do with those doubts. got a picture of a man by the name of William Mitchell Ramsey, the turn of the 1900s. He was the premier archeologist in the entire world. At this time, Turkey hadn't been, had a lot of, Uh, study done there. And so he decided he was going to go through Turkey and do all these archaeological discoveries in Turkey. And one of the things he decided to do was because he was an atheist, he was going to take the Bible, read things that the book of Acts said about Turkey, and then disprove them over and over again. So uh, he started and he went to the towns of Lister and and Durba. And I want to read you something uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter nine, verse six. When I read this, this is going to shake you to your core. Everybody ready to be shaken to your core? That must not be the right one (laughs) who's shaken to their core. How about acts 14 verse six? I dropped my paper in the sink and I can't read the writing on it any longer. (laughs) True, Regina? Yes, kind of, yes. Acts 14, verse 6. All right, hold on to your seats. Hold on to something. They found out about it and they fled to the Lycanian cities of Lystra and Durba. Did you hear that? They found out about it and they fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Durba. Who's starting to feel some cold chills going up and down them right now? Anybody? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so everybody knew. And Ramsey proved that Lystra and Durba were in two different provinces. They weren't in one. And so when he said the Lycanian cities of Lystra and Derba, it was obviously showing the Bible was wrong and was written by monks in the middle ages. And he wrote an entire article for a scholarly journal on how ridiculous acts was saying that Lystra and Durba are in the same province. And he even had a picture of the stone that marked where the provinces began and ended five years later, he's digging in Lystra and finds an inscription. And the inscription talks about the Lycanian cities of Lystra and Derba, And what he finds out is that from 6 A.D. to 60 A.D., when the book of Acts would have been written, this was the only time in history that Rome actually combined them into one province. He then began to take the book of Acts and to use it to find archaeology discoveries. And he would later write this at the end of it. This present writer has done everything he can to show the events of the book of act untrustworthy and true. But what I've found is that Luke's history is unsurpassed in its respect to its trustworthiness. So he has gone from one to the other. Now a believer because he wasn't afraid to ask questions and he wasn't afraid to search. That brings us to the third thing that we see in our scripture passage. And that is this Jesus asked us to trust him even in the midst of our doubts. He asked us to trust him, even in the midst of our doubts. Okay, so they brought the boy to Jesus. He's having this convulsion right in front of Jesus, his seizure. Jesus says, how long has he been like this? Uh, the, the father says his whole life. And then the father says this, if you can do something, please have pity on us. Look how Jesus responds to that. Keep reading in our scripture passage, verse 23. If you can said, Jesus, everything is possible to the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father explained, I do believe, help my unbelief. What a great passage of scripture. So the guy says to Jesus, if you can do something, have pity on us. And Jesus looks at the guy and says, if you can, what are you talking about? Do you know who I am? You know who I am? You know, if you can... And then Jesus says, anything is possible to the one who believes. Now that Greek word that's used here for belief, that Greek word can also mean faith, and it can also mean trust. Anything is possible to the one who has faith. Anything is possible to the one who trusts. Anything is possible to the one who believes. And so what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, there's always going to be times you have doubts. There's always going to be times you have questions. When those things come, that's when you have to fall back on faith, trust, belief. There will always be times you don't have every question answered. There will be times that you don't know the answers to some things. There'll be times you have doubts. But you have built up a measure of trust with God through your walk with him, where when those times come, you fall back upon that faith and trust. Because whether you're an atheist or whether you're a Christian, There will be things that you doubt and question. Believe me, atheists doubt and question all the time. It takes as much faith to be an atheist as it does to be a Christian. So for a Christian, you fall back to faith and trust when those times come uh, upon us. It's interesting the father's response to this. The father has almost lost all faith. He's almost lost all belief. He's almost overcome by doubt. And he looks at Jesus and he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And isn't that where all of us are? I do believe, help my unbelief. Because we all struggle with that. We all have trouble with that. He's holding on to that little lifeline. Maybe it is true. Maybe Jesus can do something. And then look at what happens in our scripture passage. Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene. He rebuked the evil spirit, said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked like a dead corpse and everyone said he's dead. So now you're the boy's father. You trust in Jesus. Jesus says, come out of him. And the boy falls down like he's dead. Oh my goodness, I've killed my son. What have I done? The doubts flood in and then we're told, Then Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he stood up. And that great miracle occurs. There's always going to be a struggle at times, questions and doubts. And that's why what we have is called faith. If, if it wasn't faith, it would mean, okay, it's cut and dry. You can look at it. You can see everything that's there. But there's going to be times you have to say, I believe by faith. I believe by trust. Now, that's not a faith and belief by trust that has no bearing to it. The things you believe should have historical facts to it, archaeological facts and all of that. But nothing's ever going to be totally disproven or proven. Uh, I told you the example uh, uh, when I was in college. use this over and over again, so bear with me. Uh, But I had a teacher get up one day and said, I don't believe in God. God's a myth. God's a joke. And if you can prove to me, God exists, walk up here and prove it. And I'll fall down on my knees and worship him. Anybody want to respond to that? And I raised my hand and he said, yes, sir. And I said, I do believe in God. I believe God is real. I believe people who don't believe in God are stupid. And if you can prove to me right now that God doesn't exist, I will never go to church or believe in him again. And everybody turned around and looked at the professor who stood there for a second and said, touche, let's continue our class. <laughs> it was both faith. There are times that faith and trust have to come in. Probably a lot of you remember the story uh, back in 2010 when uh, the Chilean miners were caught underground. Anybody remember that? 33 Chilean miners were caught underground. the leader of the miners was a man by the name of Mario Sopoveda. Sop- And uh, he got the nickname Super Mario because when they would would go down, he'd say, we're having prayer meetings at 12 every day. Uh, uh, We're rationing food. We're doing this and that. And Super Mario became became the the face and the voice of the trap miners. Got a picture of him when they first got them out of the mine. And uh, you see Mario there in the middle uh, in the white shirt with the sunglasses because they have been underground for so long. Uh, And he came out. And this is what Mario said when he came out. It was really interesting. God wanted me and Satan wanted me and God tried for me and Satan tried for me and they both pulled me the entire time, but God has won. Did you hear what he said when he was in that mind and everybody thought he had so much faith and he was super Mario. And he comes out and says, in my heart and so, God and Satan were ripping me apart with doubts and fears, but God won. That's the kind of faith that comes in trusting even in our doubts. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. A relationship with God helps us through the puzzling questions of life. A relationship with God will help us through the puzzling questions of life. Okay, the story's over. The the boy has been healed. Jesus takes the disciples, goes inside, and let's see what happens down to verse 30. They left that uh, uh, Let's try verse 28. Who would rather try verse 28? Thank you. Steve Hoffman will do it then if he wants to do it. Go back to verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So they go inside, get away from the crowd, and the disciples immediately want to know, why couldn't we do it? We've done it before. Why couldn't we do it this time? And Jesus gives the response, well, this kind can only come out through prayer. Now, one of the things Jesus might have meant here was, whoo, this was a tough one, you know, and and, uh, you had to really be a lot of prayer to get him out, you know, it was tough. But what is Prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is having a relationship with God. So maybe what Jesus was saying is, you know what? When you have doubts and questions and failures, what's going to count and what's going to get you through is that relationship with God. This kind only comes out with a relationship with God. Some questions are only answered Through a relationship with God. So Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. The closer you get to God. The more that you know God. And experience God. The stronger your faith is going to be. And the less questions and doubt you're going to have. Now we'll always have some questions. And we'll always have times the doubts come up. But the more you know God, the closer you get to him, the more you understand about him, the less those things are going to be prominent in your life and the more faith and trust and belief you're going to have. Now look down to verse 30. They left that place, passed through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were going. He was going to teach his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days he will rise again. They didn't understand anything he was talking about. And they were afraid to even ask him. So they leave this place where they've just been taught this great lesson about doubt and faith. And Jesus immediately takes them out and says, the son of Man's going to be betrayed and killed. They don't know what he's talking about again. They're confused. They've got all kinds of questions. But what's their reaction to the doubts and the questions? They're too afraid to ask him about it. And because of that, when it happens, they're thrown into a turmoil. What should they have done here? Uh, That doesn't make any sense. That's not the way I read the Bible. Uh, I doubt what you're saying. Help us understand. But they fell right back into the same pattern. I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't ask the questions. I'll just hold it all inside. God wants you to have the kind of faith that's not afraid to question, not afraid to ask, not afraid to doubt, but to take those things to him. Anybody here like working puzzles? Gosh, you are three people, four. All right, thank you, thank you. Gosh, what? you know, I got to get you. How exciting is it to work a puzzle? You know, I mean, you get to sit there for hours on end trying to find one piece. I mean, you know, who wouldn't enjoy something like that? Well, if you've ever worked a puzzle, what's the first thing you do is that you look at the picture so you know what it looks like here. Take a look at this puzzle box right here. So you look at the picture there. Okay, that's it. That's what it's supposed to look like. Then you dump the pieces out. Is that what it looks like when you dump the pieces out? No, you have a mess when you dump the pieces out. It looks nothing like the picture you're trying to put together. So what's the first thing you do if you've ever worked puzzles? Yeah, you try to get that outline. You try to get those edges. So that's the next thing that you do is you start putting those edges around. Look at that, the next picture here uh, that we have. So you're starting to put that together. It's starting to make sense. And then it all comes together. And yet you have something like this. Look at the last picture that comes up here. This is the Christian life right here. You're shown when you become a Christian, this picture of what it's supposed to be to be a Christian. Oh, I'm gonna understand all this stuff about the Bible. I'm gonna help all these people. I'm gonna be Joe Super Christian or something like that, or Joetta Super Christian, if you're. And then you go out into the world and your life looks like a mess. And nothing makes sense and nothing comes understandable. So, what do you have to do? The first thing you have to do is you've got to get the borders, you've got to get that framework, you've got to get that initial relationship with God. And then the longer you live your life and the closer you get to God, the more the pieces start coming together. But the truth of the matter is, the puzzle that you're putting together called life is never going to be complete till heaven. There will always be a few pieces missing. There'll always be some things you don't understand or some doubts that you might have, but the picture will be coming more and more into focus and your faith and your trust will become stronger and stronger. But there's always going to be some missing pieces. And if you don't think that's the case, I refer you to someone called Paul. Paul who wrote about half of the New Testament. And you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? The great apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. When it comes to God, it's like I'm looking through a glass darkly. But one day I'll know him just like he knows me. So even Paul says, you know, the best I can do with God is look through a glass darkly. He had questions. There were things he didn't always understand. So when it comes to God, realize you're trying to put together a puzzle. And every time you put another piece in, your puzzle becomes stronger and clearer. But there's never going to be a time in your life that every piece is going to be in that puzzle. And that's when faith and trust comes in. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you don't condemn us when we have questions, that you don't turn your back when we have doubts. But, Father, our questions and doubts can be some of the times we have our closest experiences with you. You welcome them as chances to help us grow and become stronger and find out more about you and to experience you. So, Lord, help us to not try to push our doubts aside, but rather take our doubts to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m.,